Well, it is the last Sunday in December. My goodness, that's hard to believe, isn't it? I, I want to welcome you here to the Heights. I'm Steve Freeman. I'm staff evangelist here. I, some of you know me. Some of you do not. I've actually been serving here at the Heights since around the year 2000. Now, I say serving here loosely because the bulk of our ministry is done elsewhere. We are in different churches week after week, primarily in the States, but sometimes abroad. We are in different churches week after week, encouraging, equipping, and engaging those who know the Lord and those who do not. Now, whether I'm preaching revivals or speaking at a one-day event, maybe coming in to share my personal testimony, maybe leading in a camp or a retreat or speaking at some kind of a banquet, uh, whatever we're doing, I tell you, we, we really are convinced that God is using us. And you know, as this year comes to a close, we will actually begin our 21st year in full-time evangelism. Now, you know what that means? That means I'm getting old. That's right. And you know what else it might mean? It might mean that so are you. But you know, as we come to the close of this year, uh, you, you know, don't we do this at the end of the year? We start taking inventory. You know what I'm talking about? You start asking questions like, hey, what did I accomplish this year? What do I hope to accomplish next year? Did I accomplish uh, the goals that I had set? And, and boy, I tell you what, these kind of questions, boy, they can get a little overwhelming. I mean, even simple questions like you're going to be asked this week. Someone will invariably say to you, hey, what are you doing for New Year's? Boy, even that question carries with it a certain amount of pressure I mean, a certain expectation for you and I to be doing something exciting. Now, I think about our pastor, Dr. Randy Hahn. Oh, my goodness. He's always doing something exciting. I mean, how many times have we seen him stand up here and talk about something he's doing? Maybe hiking up Colorado mountains or, my goodness, training or running in an actual marathon. I don't know what he's doing for New Year's. Probably scaling Mount Everest as we speak. I, I, I tell you what, but when you ask me... Steve, what do you want to be doing for New Year's? Let me tell you what I want to be doing for New Year's. I want to be doing the same thing I was doing last night, sleeping. You know what I'm talking about. Well, I tell you, and even those New Year's resolutions, boy, we think about those things. Have you made some of those? Are you making some of those? You know what I've decided? I've decided this year for 2014 coming up, here's my New Year's resolution. I, uh, you know what I want to do? I want to put on about 50 pounds. That's right. I want to put on about 50 pounds and probably by the end of the year be in the worst physical shape of my life. There, I've said it. I'm done. I, I give up. I mean, what in the world? I, I mean, you know what? You know why I start this way? I think if I start out this way, if I don't reach my goal by the end of next year, I'll actually be happy. That's right. Think about it. I'll be happy. Isn't that what we all want? To be happy, 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 happy. That's right. You know, I did a search for books on happiness recently. And you know what I found on books on how to be happy or the secret to happiness? You know what I found? I found 34,340 different options from Amazon.com. Now, now, would it surprise you to know that a number of these books are written by Christian authors? In fact, not, over 1,900 of these 34,000 books are written from a Christian perspective. Now, that would seem to indicate a couple of things. It would seem to indicate, first of all, that we all want to be happy. 
But you know, the second thing it indicates, or at least seemingly indicating, that, that God wants us all to be happy. Now, is that true? Now, I mean, I have no doubt that we all want to be happy. In fact, I don't own one single book in my library on how to be unhappy. Do you? I mean, we don't. But what does God want for us? I mean, if God actually has a plan and purpose for our lives, is his plan for you and me actually centered on our happiness? I mean, it sounds good. I guess it makes some sense. But is it true? Now, before you're tempted to tune me out here, I'm not suggesting that God wants us miserable. I'm not saying that God doesn't bless because he does. I'm not saying that God doesn't provide because certainly he will. But I am suggesting that God may have something other than our personal happiness in mind as it relates to his goal for our lives. So what is it that God wants for us? What is God's goal for you and me? Well, I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want you to look with me just at a couple of verses as we get started this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, and look with me at verse 15 and 16. The Word of God says this, But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, Be holy, because I, Am holy. Look at that again. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know what we don't see in this verse? We do not see a command to be happy. Boy, we do see a command to be holy. So it looks like, it looks like God's goal for you and me, listen, has much more to do with our holiness than it does our happiness. Now, because of what I already know about our desire uh, to be happy, boy, I instinctively know something about each of you in this room this morning. I know something about those who may be watching or listening through the Internet. And, and whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a believer or not, whether you're a Christ follower or not, whether you believe all that, you, you know what I know about you? I know that you and I, you know what we do? We live our lives and we make decisions and choices each and every day. And the majority of those decisions and choices that we make are an attempt to answer this one question. Here's the question. What will make me happy? What will make me happy? Boy, I mean, do you doubt me on this? I mean, this is what we do. Think of all the decisions that you and I make in a given day. Think about it, for example. When will I get up in the morning? When, am I going to go to work today? What am I going to do at work? Am I going to school today? What am I going to do at school? When am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? Am I coming home from work today? What am I going to do tonight? What am I going to do tomorrow? You know, do you hear a common theme Boy, most of the decisions and choices that I make in a given day, I got to tell you, most of them are centered around my three favorite people, me, myself, and I. I got to tell you, I love these folks. Man, I love them, and I'll do just about anything to make me, myself, and I happy. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about. Now, isn't this our natural tendency? Boy, isn't this what we do? So let's understand it this way. We want happiness. But what does God want? God wants holiness. Now, if you're like me, you like word pictures, and 
I've got a nice one for you this morning. Uh, let's think about it this way. We want happiness. There it is. Look at that. Isn't that nice? But what does God want? He wants holiness. Holiness. I want to thank the graphics art department here at the Heights for making that so good. Now, now you know, I tell you, why is it? Well, why is it that, that most of the time what we want for our lives seems to be in opposition or even in conflict with what God wants for us. Why is it that most of the time, you and I will choose happiness over holiness every single time? You know why I believe it is? I believe it's because you and I have a fundamental misunderstanding of holiness. You see, we have a fundamental misunderstanding of holiness. We see holiness as that thing that will just get in the way of our happiness. Let me illustrate it this way. You and I look at happiness as a positive thing. For example, whatever I want to do, that's what I do. And when I'm doing what I want to do, guess what? That makes me happy. But boy, when we think about holiness, you know what we're tempted to think? We think holiness, oh, that's that, that, that's that thing that I'm not supposed to be. Holiness means that list of things that I'm not supposed to be doing, that, that I've got to stay away from, even though sometimes when I'm doing those things, I'm kind of happy. Boy, you remember all those books I found on happiness? 34,000 plus books on happiness or how to be happy or personal life. You, you know what? You know how many I found on holiness? Just over 5,500 books on holiness or personal holiness or how to be holy. So what does that, what does that tell us? Well, it, it, think about it. 34,000 books on happiness, just over 5,500 books on holiness. What that tells me is, is for the most part, most of us would rather be happy than holy. Now, if you're here this morning and you, you're, you're not a believer in Jesus, you're not a Christian, in fact, you're not even sure why you came this morning. Maybe somebody invited you, but you don't really buy into all this. You don't really believe all this stuff yet. Uh, and, and you're kind of sitting there and you're thinking, man, why would I want to be holy? I, I mean, I can't even see the need for that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm relatively happy as it is. So why would I want? I mean, why would I need holiness? And that is a legitimate question. Now, I, I, want you to, I want you to notice what God says in his word in Hebrews 12, 14. It says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Make every effort to live at peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So holiness, think about it. Holiness is pretty important in the big picture. In fact, Without holiness, the Bible says, no one will see the Lord. The writer of Hebrews did not say, without happiness, no one will see the Lord, did he? He, he didn't even say, without sincerity, no one will see the Lord. He didn't say, without doing more good than bad, no one will see the Lord. He didn't even say, without trying real hard, no one will see the Lord. He didn't say, hey, without joining our church, no one will see the Lord. Or, without being baptized, no one will see the Lord. No, you know what he said? He said, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, we have a real problem because what is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? It means, listen, holiness means perfection. Holiness means righteousness. Holiness means sinlessness. Holiness means the absence of sin. Listen, holiness is everything that God is and so many times everything that we are not. We are sinners. We are sinners. Man, we are messed up. We have broken God's laws. We have ignored his commands. We have transgressed his ways. We've all snubbed our nose at the standards 
that God has said. And you might be here this morning and you say, well, wait a minute now, preacher. I haven't done that. Oh, really? How many of you remember the evangelism course uh, we did here at our church a few years ago titled Way of the Master? You remember this course by evangelist Ray Comfort? And do you remember what he did uh, to demonstrate and to illustrate our sinfulness? He would utilize the Ten Commandments as a way of doing that very thing. In fact, very skillfully. For example, have you ever, now don't raise your hands here, but have you ever told a lie? Has anybody ever told a lie? You know, what kind of lie? Big lie, little lie, a white lie. My goodness, when did we start color-coding lies? I mean, I guess if there's a lie you're afraid to tell, that would be a yellow lie, you know what I mean? And, and, but, but we lie. We lie. Some of you did a lot of lying this past week at Christmas. But you're, you're gathered around a tree, you're with family and friends, and you're opening up gifts. And as you're opening up the gifts they have for you, you're thinking, what in the world were you thinking when you bought this for me? Was I even on your radar? Were you, were you even thinking about me when you purchased this? But what did you say? Oh, thank you. I love it. We lie. I love it so much, I'm giving it back to you next year. Amen. I do. I love it. So we lie. Husbands, you ever do this? You get up in the morning, you and your wife get up, and uh, you get dressed, and your wife will invariably ask you that question. You know she's going to ask you, how does this, what, look on me? That's right. She always asks you that question. What do you always say? Looks great. Looks fabulous. Tremendous. You know what? Sometimes we're telling the truth. Sometimes we're lying. Sometimes we lie because of self-preservation. Amen. You know, we're thinking that. You know you're lying when your wife asks you that question. You're not even looking at her and you say, you look great, baby. Sure, great, tremendous. We lie. How many of you have ever gone up to the pastor and you've said to him at the end of a service, preacher, that was a great sermon, man. I really enjoyed that. That was powerful, man. That was motivational. It was inspirational. When what you were really thinking the whole service was, man, when is this guy going to be quiet? I'm ready to go to lunch. So we lie. We lie. Let me ask you something. Have you ever, uh, have you ever stolen something now? I... Yeah, you know, when I say stolen, you say, that's such a harsh word. Okay, let's rephrase it. Have you ever taken something that doesn't actually uh, belong to you? Maybe, maybe at work, maybe at the office. I don't know if it's pens or computer paper, paper clips or post-it notes or whatever it is. But, but you've kind of taken stuff, stamps, things that just do not belong uh, to you. Maybe, ladies, you've been at the grocery store and, and you've been down the produce aisle and you see the grapes there. You want to buy some, but you want to do what? You want to sample some before you actually... Uh, pay for them, you stand there, eat a couple handfuls, that checks mix that is out, you do all that. Students, how many times have you uh, perhaps looked on somebody's paper, uh, maybe during an exam, during a, a test of some kind, maybe you've copied uh, some homework, uh, you've done that. Maybe, uh, maybe you're here this morning and you, and you say, you know what, uh, let me ask you, have you ever uh, borrowed a music CD from someone? You borrowed a music CD to do what? Well, you've just burned that thing uh, right onto your computer, right into your iTunes library, right on to your iPod. Boy, boy you, know, you know what all this is, don't you? It's stealing. That's right. It's all, it, it's all stealing. And, and chances are a whole lot of us may be guilty of, of that. Men, let me ask you a question. How many of you, uh, and don't raise your hands here, but have you ever, boy, have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart? Now, if you sit here this morning and you say, preacher, I've never done that, well, you're probably already guilty of lying. So go back to the first one I talked about, you know? I've never, you know, you know what? If you've ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart, then, then you know what? Jesus said, when we do this, 
Boy, when we do this, we're guilty of committing adultery in our hearts. Now, how many times have you ever used the name of the Lord in a way that was not honoring to him? It did not show reverence to him. If you've ever used God's name, listen, in a fit of anger, maybe just expressing a moment of anger or hostility, and you blurt out his name, or you use his name as a slang word, or if you use his name as a curse word, you know the Bible says that is blasphemy. Now, here's the thing. We're not very far into God's top ten list, and already we're a bunch of lying thieving, adulterous people who blaspheme the name of God. I mean, folks, we are all sinners. Can I get an amen? Man, we've all sinned. We've all messed up. And so the question is, well, if I, if, if I am such a sinner, how in the world will I ever? Man, how will I ever see the Lord? Let me tell you. Holiness. Holiness. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And you say, but the problem is, I'm not holy. That's right. The problem is, I'm a sinner. You got it. The problem is, I'm really messed up. You have no idea. And you say, well, preacher, how? How can I be holy? How can I be holy? How can I be right with God? Now, here is the good news. Here's the good news, because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10.10, it says, and by that will, what will is that? The will of God. By God's will, listen, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Can I get an amen? Man, we're made holy not because of our goodness, not because of our effort, not because of trying hard. We're made holy. Listen, by, listen, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And the Bible also tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him, talking about Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. So, so you know what happens? The answer, the answer to our holiness problem is Jesus. The moment you and I place our trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and we receive him as our Savior and Lord, listen, the moment you and I turn from our sins, which is repentance, and we turn to Jesus, which is placing our trust in him for what he did for us on the cross. In that moment, Jesus takes our sin upon himself. That's what he did for us at the cross. And then he gives us or imparts to us his own perfect righteousness, his holiness, so that in that moment we are made holy and acceptable to God. Now, this is great news. This is great news because of what Jesus has done for you and me. Wow, you know what that means? It means we are, listen, as a Christ follower, as a Christian, it means that we know we will see the Lord. Not only will we see him, but we will be with him forever in heaven. Now, the question, now the question you may have at this point is, uh, oh, okay, preacher, I'm, I'm with you here, uh, but i got to tell you, uh, I've done that before. I, I'm a Christian. I, I, I believe in Jesus. I've received him as my Savior and Lord. And you, and you tell me that God says that I'm holy. Now, here's my question. If I'm so holy, why don't I feel holy? If I'm really holy, why don't I act holy? Why don't I live holy? Why is it that I still struggle with some of the same sins that have been a part of my life for a very long time? If I am so holy, 
Why am I so impatient at times? Why, why do I lash out at those who love me the most, maybe my wife and kids? If I am so holy, why am I rude to people at times? Why do I get jealous of what other people have? If I am so holy, why do I think the way that I do? Boy, why do I talk the way that I do? Why do I live and do the things that I do if I'm so holy? If I am so holy, why is it that at times I, you know what? I can be the biggest jerk on the planet. Can anyone relate to what I'm saying? Amen? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt this way? Boy, the Apostle Paul certainly felt that way on, on occasion. In fact, the Apostle Paul, you remember him? This Christ follower, this apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, this man who, listen, who loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. This man who, because of his zeal in spreading the gospel around the world, were it not for him, most of us would not be here uh, today. This man who, listen, who, who penned three-fourths of the words in the New Testament that you hold in your hand. This man who would ultimately die and give his life because of his own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 7, 15 and 18. He says this. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Oh my goodness, look at that again. For I do not understand what I do. He says, I, I can't make any sense out of this. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. You understand that last part, don't you? I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. How many of you have been on a diet? You know what I'm talking about. We've been there. Now, look in verse, 20, verse 19. He, say, he goes on and he says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Oh, my goodness. He's singing my song here. I mean, folk, can you understand this? Right here, the Apostle Paul he begins to zero in on what is so common to each and every one of us. I mean, this is where we struggle, isn't it? And then he continues and he starts to give us an explanation. He starts to give us the reason why we struggle. In verse 20, he says, Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And you see what he's saying? He's saying, look, uh, you've got to remember, way back when, remember, there was a man. His name was Adam. You remember Adam? You remember Adam and Eve? And when Adam lived and when Adam sinned, you know what he did? He brought sin. He introduced sin into the whole world so that everyone born after Adam is born into sin. We are born sinners. And Paul says, look, as a sinner, you've got to understand this. Sin is living in you and me. And this is why. Boy, this is why we don't feel holy at times. This is why we don't act holy at times. This is why we're not living holy at times. And this is that internal war, this struggle that is going on inside every heart and mind of every believer in Jesus. In fact, it can get so intense that just a few verses later, the Apostle Paul, you know what he would cry out? He would cry out in verse 24. He would say, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, boy, I don't know. I don't know what Paul is referencing here. I don't know what particular sin 
he may have in mind. I don't know what he's talking about exactly. What, when he's talking about all the good things he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the evil that he does not want to do, this is what he keeps on doing. But man, what, what leads him to that place where he would cry out, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body subject to death? Uh, you, you know what? I don't think he's talking about something that we might view as small or seemingly petty or insignificant. I don't think he's saying, oh, if I could just be a little more help to my wife around the house and pick up my socks every now and then, oh, wretched man that I am. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying, oh, if I just stop driving four or five miles over the speed limit, oh, wretched man that I am. I don't think he's even saying, oh, if I would just return those library books on time and quit getting those little fines from the library. Oh, wretched. I don't think that's what he's talking about. And you say, well, what is he talking about? You know what? I really don't know. He doesn't tell us. And I'm kind of glad he doesn't tell us. But here's what he does tell us. Boy, he tells us that he understands our struggle. He can relate to you and to me. But then, you know what? Then we come back to that first verse that we looked at this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. And 16, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. So God, listen, he's much more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. God is commanding us here to be holy. He's not commanding us to be happy. He's commanding us here to be holy. He's commanding us here to live holy. And, and, and he says, in all of our conduct. Now, the question you probably have is, well, okay, how do I do it? Man, how do I live that way? Well, I think in order to do that, we need to remember a couple of things. First of all, we need to remember that, listen, number one, it is only a personal relationship with Jesus that makes us holy. It is only a personal relationship with Jesus that makes us holy. You see, it's not about you and I doing more good than bad because we won't. It's not about how many commandments we've obeyed because chances are we've broken every single one of them. It is about a personal relationship with Jesus. The moment you and I ask him to come into our hearts, to forgive us of our sins, we receive him as our Savior and Lord. The moment we turn control of our lives over to him, that is when that relationship uh, begins. In that moment... We are made holy. You see, we need to remember, it is only a personal relationship with Jesus that makes us holy. But the second thing we need to remember is this. It is only an abiding relationship with Jesus that enables us to live holy. Can I get an amen? It is only an abiding relationship with Jesus that enables us to live holy. Now, let me ask you a question. Does it make any sense for God to ask or command us to do something that he already knows we cannot do. I mean, would that make any sense at all? I mean, my goodness, it would be pretty pointless and pretty silly. In fact, it would be like me uh, talking to my children and saying, hey, Berkeley and Kevin, I've got two kids, and if I were to say to them, hey, Berkeley, hey, Kevin, I want you to climb up on the roof of my house, and I want you to jump off that roof and fly. Now, wouldn't that be ridiculous? I mean, no matter how much I wanted them to do that, they're never going to jump off the roof and fly. No matter how much they want to do it, they're not going to jump off the roof and fly. No matter how much they believe they could do it, they're not going to be able to jump off the roof and fly. Now, what if I went one step further? What if I said, not only do I want you to jump off the roof and fly, but I tell you what, if you don't get up there right now and jump off that roof and fly, you're going to be in some kind of trouble, mister. 
Now, wouldn't you think I'd be the cruelest parent in all the world? Cruel. I mean, to ask, command my kids to do something that I already know they can't do, and then at the same time, punish them for what they didn't do. The very thing that I already knew they would never be able to do. Now, think about this. Aren't you glad that God doesn't treat us that way? You, you see, God hasn't commanded us to do something that we cannot do. Oh, sometimes we think we can't, but God hasn't commanded us to do something we can't do because remember, it is a personal relationship with Jesus that makes us holy, but it is that abiding relationship with Jesus that enables us to live holy. You see, it is Jesus living on the inside of you and me that enables us, that equips us, that empowers us to live lives that are holy in all of our conduct, as the Scripture says. Now, the question is, why don't we do this? Why is it that most of the time we're, we're just not doing that? You know why I think we don't do it a lot of the time? I think it's simply because we forget. We forget who is living on the inside of us. Jesus said on one occasion in John 15, you remember what he said? He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He said, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Boy, without me, you can do nothing. Now, what good is a branch on its own or by itself? Not much good at all. Not very useful. But boy, when that branch is connected to the vine, what can the branch do? Everything that it is intended to do. And Jesus says, this is our relationship. It is an abiding relationship. As I am in you and you are in me, you are branches and I am the vine. And it is through Jesus who is our source. Jesus gives us the strength. He equips us. He enables us. He empowers us to live lives that are holy. So God hasn't commanded us to do something that we cannot do, but we may need to ask ourselves a few questions as we close. First of all, have we been made holy by the precious blood of Jesus? Has there been that point in your life when you've realized your need for a Savior and, and you've placed your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you've received him as your Savior and Lord? Have you done that? Secondly, as a believer, are there some areas in which we are not walking in holiness? As a believer, are there some areas in which we are not walking in holiness? Now, you know what? I, I probably don't need to tell you what those areas are in your life. In fact, as you were listening to the words of Paul when he was crying out, Oh, what a wretched man that I am. You know what? You are probably thinking the same thing. And whatever it is that drives you to that point, whatever it is that makes you cry out sometimes, What a wretched man that I am, what a wretched woman that I am, whatever it is, listen, whatever it is that you can't seem to get a grip on, whatever that struggle is that you can't seem to experience victory, I want to tell you, this is the very thing that God is wanting to, listen, not only surface in your life, he, he wants you to be aware of it, and you already know it, but he wants you to deal with it. And that leads me to the third question. Are we ready? Are we ready to surrender those areas to the control of Jesus? who abides in us. Are we ready to surrender those areas? Listen, are we ready to surrender those areas to the control of Jesus, who abides in us? If you're wise, that's what you're going to do this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, you're going to have an opportunity. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, 
but you know there's some areas in which you're not walking in holiness, you know what? You're going to have an opportunity in just a moment to surrender those areas to the control of Jesus. Now think about this. Happiness or holiness. Happiness or holiness. While God's goal for your life and mine is certainly holiness, could it be that God knows that holiness will lead to our greatest happiness? Let's pray.